This is Welcome Dad's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Whatcom Dads podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things being a dad. We discuss parenting topics, share our recommendations for things our kids like, and bring on a guest who will share some parenting advice. And to all you moms out there, please stick around. Our show is for you too. I'm Nathan Dwyer. I'm Chris Roselli. And I'm Mark Bagley. This week, we talk about youth sports where to have your kid's birthday party in Whatcom County, and interview Adam Van Ness, teacher of personal finance. We're back! It's Ellen, Benjamin, and Molly. We got this job because Nathan's our dad. Hey guys, how's it going? Episode four. Quattro. Big four. I like it. That's great. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about one thing that was fantastic this week. Um, I'm from Los Angeles and a, a lifelong LA Dodger fan, and um, they won the World Series for the first time in 32 years. And it was great because my son came home and watched Game Six with my wife and I. My wife used to work at the Dodgers, so she's kind of invested as well. And so the three of us got to watch them win this World Series. And during the game, my sister was texting me and my dad was texting me. And my dad is going to be 90 in January. And when it was all said and done, we hugged each other. We told each other we loved each other. My son went home and he texted me about an hour and a half later and said, Dad, I just want you to know it's so great having a family that loves something together. And to be able to see this happen after 32 years, he said, you know, I'm only 21. You're, it's been 32 years. And so I just can't imagine what you've been going through. But to be able to experience it together as a family that night, that was really pretty special. And so, you know, shout out to him for acknowledging that. And uh, it was a, a pretty great experience to have that as a three generation family, all, uh, all living game six together and, and celebrating together. It was, it was a good night. That is cool. Yeah. The three of us did have a little group uh, text thread going and I know Chris and I were thinking about you and despite our own allegiances in baseball, I think we were all pulling for the Dodgers for you, Mark. I appreciate it. It worked. Thank you. And the Mariners only what uh, fifty years now without uh, without a World Series. What happens uh, first? We stop doing the podcast, or the Mariners win a World Series? But you know, it's a good. I will say though, watching um, something as a family and celebrating something as a family, Mark. You and and I grew up in a sports family too, and so it's really interesting you actually say that. And speaking of the Mariners, Dwyer. Um, one of my greatest memories of all time is when Edgar hit the double. I remember we were all sitting, I mean, exactly the spot where I was sitting in my parents' family room. And when he hit that double, I remember jumping up out of my chair and I ran in place as hard as I could. Like I was somehow like willing Ken Griffey Jr. to get home faster. And we all, when he scored, we all as a family jumped into the middle of the family room together and started jumping up and down, hugging and screaming together as a family. And there's there's something about being together as a family cheering for something together like that. So I'm really happy for you, Mark, that you got a chance to do that. Yeah. It's a, a, a phenomenal memory and we'll never forget it. Wow. It's a good segue into youth sports, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but I'm going to take a turn here and given where we are at on the calendar and what's been going on. Uh, I think our country's pretty divided on this particular issue I know there's some households where there's parents on both sides of the debate. 
I have the utmost respect for people who think differently than me. So I'm talking about Red Vines versus Twizzlers. <laughs> I am 100% Twizzler. There's a, bunch, oh! there's a bunch of them upstairs in my kids' Halloween baskets, oh! and my wife is 100% Red Vines. For me, it, I, go ahead, but go ahead. Ben. No, no, no. No, please, Chris. Oh, it's not even... It, it, Twizzlers are a copycat, garbage, plasticky, terribly flavored candy. It's not even candy. It's it's what's wrong with candy in America. So I am Red Vines all the way. And Chris, I would agree with you to a point. I'm Red Vines all the way, but I am a black licorice kind of guy. Ooh. And so I always would choose the black licorice over the Red Vines any day of the week. Red Vines go stale in a week. All of them are because they're, they're, they're more natural. That's why. And, and just means you should eat them faster because, yeah, the Twizzlers are that's complete garbage. That is the one candy that I, that I am happy to let my kids have after Halloween. I mean, give me any chocolate. Give me anything else but Twizzlers. So, Chris, when you were uh, pillaging from your kids' Halloween bucket, what would you take? What was the, what, what's the go-to? Uh, the Kit Kats, the Twix. Um, and I never buy almond joys for myself, but I love almond joy at, you know, the little mini almond joys. There's always like one almond in it. Yeah. So, uh, mine were always were the mounds bars <laughs> and the three musketeers. Oh, which yeah. nowadays they don't, they don't market that by the way, as nougat, they call it fluffed chocolate. <laughs> really? What, what the heck is nougat? I mean, that doesn't sound... That doesn't, doesn't sound, sound very tasty good. at all. <laughs> no. No. So, you know, I listened back to a couple of our episodes, and I realized that we need to start talking about our parenting mistakes, guys. We're making this thing out to be way too easy. Uh, I think uh, moving forward here, we got we to gotta get real. You're perfect, Mark, Mark and Nathan. I don't understand any, any mistakes. You guys, aren't, you guys don't have mistakes. I can tell you, Nathan, if you want to talk about parenting mistakes, you need much more than a 30 to 40 minute podcast when it comes to Mark Bagley and all the mistakes he has made over the last 24 years. Is that an episode for your kids to come back and tell us all the mistakes you made? You know, I think it'd be fantastic to have Ben and Allie chime in on everything I did. I mean, it would be very eye-opening for me. It might be a little emotional, but I think it would be a really, really great idea. That would be amazing. And yeah, that would... Oh, that would be hard. Well, you you just at dinner tonight, my wife told me some things that uh, she didn't mean it critically, but things that I did that maybe weren't that great. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, uh, this is, this is getting real. Well, it's hard because as a parent, you're trying your best. Well, I like to think I'm always trying the best I can. <laughs> Sometimes I'm being a little lazy. You're the one who forgot how old your daughter was. I'm trying my best to remember, right? You know, no, it, it, it's interesting. Like I was just actually thinking about this last week and how busy things have been. Um, and there's that parental guilt that comes in, you know, should I, should I go mow the lawn or should I sit on the couch and snuggle with my daughter who wants me to snuggle with her right at the moment, you know, and I went outside and mowed the lawn. I had, I, I, there were so many things going on this week and the kids going in so many directions now that I get to Sunday night and I think, God, did I, did I do this week right, you know, or did I miss out on too many things? And you, you just don't know until, I mean, you'd probably never, ever know. You just got to go with your gut and just trust. I mean, 
you're a good person and you got good values and you got good kids and you just got to go, you got to trust yourself. I was thinking this parenting thing might boil down to uh, how much therapy our kids are going to need as adults due to parenting and trying to minimize that, right? Like Chris, Chris, didn't your family do that commercial for the prepaid tuition a couple of years back? That's right. The Washington get program. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a program you can pay the tuition ahead of time. Anybody who's an entrepreneur out there, if you did prepaid therapy, I mean, imagine we could all just pay into that now and our kids could use it 15, 20, 25 years from now, because therapy is always about how your parents messed you up, right? That's a really good point. And now a word from us sponsors. Hey, Mark, have you been in a car accident before? Oh, boy, no. Thankfully, I have not. Well, would you know what to do if you or someone in your family was? No idea. Any advice? Well, first, I would get everyone out of the road to a safe spot and make sure anyone injured gets medical attention. That's first. And then once that is done, I would make sure to report the accident to police, get the other driver's insurance information, and then let my insurance company know what happened. Well, that seems easy enough. The part that seems complicated is dealing with the medical bills and insurance companies. What if someone gets hurt? Well, I'm so glad you asked. That's where our sponsor, Robinson and Cole Attorneys, can help. Robinson and Cole handles all types of personal injury cases, including auto accidents. They also handle on-the-job injuries, and they offer free consultations and case evaluations and have been serving Whatcom County since 1979. If there's one of our listeners out there who has been in a car accident or suffered a work injury, how can they reach Robinson and Cole? They can call for a free consultation at 360-671-8112 and find more information on their website at robinsonandcole.com. That's Cole, spelled K-O-L-E. Back to the show. Parenting topic time. This week, we're going to talk about youth sports. I know all three of us all three of us played them. My kids aren't quite participating in them yet, but uh, it seemed like an apropos topic with uh, football in full swing. So I did a little research, as I usually do, and this week I looked at an article 27 Ways to Be an Awesome Youth Sports Parent, and I'll put the link to that article in our show notes. So just to sort of launch us off, there was a quote in there. It said, every parent wants their child to have success, and it gives parents a rush to see it happen. But unfortunately, the competitiveness of the adults and their desires to see their children succeed have led many parents to forget what's really important in youth sports. Mark and Chris, you've had kids in youth sports. Is this going on in Whatcom County? You know, when uh, when my son was playing football in Ferndale, it was right when Jake Locker was either starring at UW or just getting ready to graduate or whatever. And every single dad thought that their kid was going to be the next Jake Locker. And so there was a lot of competition, a lot of um, pressure, a lot of angst by the dads primarily because they thought that their kids just weren't getting either enough playing time or weren't being featured well enough in the offense to get that look, I guess, by a high school coach, I don't know, to become the next superstar. And 
I was a little bit closer to it because I was always the assistant coach for the um, youth football teams because a good friend of mine was a head coach and um, and he would have asked me to be the the assistant coach. And it was pretty interesting to see and hear some of the comments that some of the parents made, just the frustrations that maybe their kid wasn't playing enough or wasn't the right position. And these were kids in fifth and sixth and seventh grade. And like, wow, it was eye-opening, um, to say the least. We never had an instance where we had a parent kind of go off during a game, yelling and screaming in kind of the viral um, videos you see. But there was certainly a lot of um, a lot of conversation about their kid maybe not being maybe not being given the opportunities they the parents thought they deserved. So it's one out of every five thousand kids plays a sport professionally. So you would think if you could just post that at every high school or youth gym or ball field, um, but yeah, it seems like everyone knows that. But it, uh, it's just not rational when your kid's out there. What have you guys done with your kids to strike that balance between trying to teach them the lessons that you want them to get out of sports, but not putting a bunch of pressure on them? Well, um, well first off, I'll, I'll say it's funny. I, I learned that every parent, including myself, who says, I'm not one of those parents, if, if you say that, that means you are probably one of those parents. And what I mean by that is one of the parents who's either running up and down the sidelines or yelling at your kid when they're on the soccer field, when your coach should be doing that instead of yelling over your coach or yelling from the bleachers on the basketball court or whatever it might be. Um, and for me as a dad, I, I did coach before I had kids. I coached baseball. I love baseball. Um, and then when my girls decided to play sports, um, I coached them and it, the coach in me, um, I had to learn to put that away as when, when I became a, a spectator and um, I convinced myself, you know what, I'm just going to sit quietly on the sidelines. But then when you start seeing all of the other parents, right. And, and um, what they're doing to, um, to make their kids better, whether it's camps and clinics and all these other sorts of things, you're thinking, shoot, I, I want to be able to provide that opportunity for my kid too. And you sort of naturally accidentally become one of those parents without even realizing it. And I, and I did. And over time, I've learned to completely relax a little bit more about that. You know, it's funny when I grew up playing sports, my dad, baseball, for instance, my dad never sat in the bleachers. My dad always stood with one other dad uh, down far down past the third baseline and just stood along the fence there. And, uh, and I never really understood why until I was a dad myself sitting amongst the crowd and there's all the conversation going on and all the parents comparing um, passive aggressively <laughs> their kid versus other kids and other kinds of things. Um, I learned that when my girls literally five years old playing soccer, I just realized I can't stand on the sidelines. I need to go stand in the corner further down and just sort of watch the game and just kind of get away from all of that stuff so I could focus. And so um, I've become my dad as I've watched sports, just kind of put myself in another corner and, and just kind of enjoy the game. And Chris, that's in interesting to hear because when my wife and I would go to soccer games, we always sat down near one of the goals away from all the other parents. We didn't want to get caught up in all of that stuff, whatever that stuff was. Um, and that really worked well for us. And, you know, I, 
it was great then at the end of the game when we were walking to the car or on the drive home just to be able to reflect with the kids about their experience on either the court or the diamond or or the field without the influence of what parents were saying kind of dictating that conversation yeah. and making it more about the kids and how they felt out there rather than how we felt they were doing out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's hard too, because you don't want the other parents to feel like that you don't want to be a part of the team or a part of the community. Right. But it's that, it's that balance. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Nathan, I know one thing that I did read uh, after games was to, um, and, and Amy and I worked on this a lot because it's hard. After I'd watched the kids play, I always would want to say, hey, remember that play? You know, re- what, what you should do or what you could do is this. And one thing I read was, don't talk about the game from a strategy level about what they could or should have done. Just ask them if they had fun and let, let it be. Let it be at that. And there's times they might not want to talk about it. Um, and that's okay, too. Uh, this article also says, you know, uh, don't make excuses for your kids. Sports is a good opportunity for them to to fail, to learn a little bit about perseverance. Um, and certainly, yeah, comparing them to other players is not going to be helpful. And, and, some, and sometimes, Nathan, letting them talk first is more important than talking, than the parents talking first. And our kids were very different. Our daughter was much less competitive and our son being like me was much more competitive. So he needed, especially after a loss, he kind of needed the cooling off time just to kind of think and be quiet and reflective of how he did and whatever process he was going through. Our daughter, she didn't really care one way or the other. It was just fun being out there with her friends and doing whatever she was doing. So it's also getting to know your kids and how they want to interact and react to what just happened to them on the, you know, on the field. Well, and one thing that is hard for, has been hard for me to adjust to is that youth sports has shifted very differently from when we were kids. But really, if you want to play at a certain level, you've got to be a part of a select team of some sort and select sports just didn't, but I think once I turned 14, I played Babe Ruth, which was my community's select team. Um, but here, you've got kids starting at, what, eight? Now paying families are paying a ton of money to play on a so-called select sport. And um, I really have issues personally um, with it. I just think that it uh, it it, um, it straps a lot of people who otherwise um, couldn't afford it. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and what, what does select actually mean? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. you know, my daughter's playing volleyball and she's loving it. And we did sign her up for select volleyball this last year and she had a blast and we did some traveling, but it's hilarious to see the names of the teams that we're playing against. Right. You know, uh, I don't know, Renton elite and, uh, you know, Paul's bow, um, select and you know the you know it's 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 are they really the greatest or are you just paying hoping that you are getting the best coaching and to be the best be on the best team so what's what's her team called like bellingham eh, pretty average (laughs) (laughs) what it all boils down to is that they're playing a game and shouldn't games be fun and that's what i had to remind myself of 
constantly with these kids growing up is that, boy, they're just running and laughing, exercising, being outside. And that really is the most important thing. And I think that so often that many of us forget that it's a game. Yeah. So we've touched on these, but so really what is it that you want your kids to get out of it? You know, um, we've talked about getting the exercise. We've talked about uh, learning failure, learning perseverance. Uh, Certainly sportsmanship would be something that comes to mind. I think having two daughters, um, there's, there's research that has shown that girls who play sports have a higher sense of self-esteem. Um, they statistically avoid drugs and alcohol and other perhaps self-harming kinds of substances. Um, and there is something to be said about expanding your friends group of sort of peers who are equally confident and interested in similar sorts of things. And so for, for my girls who both love volleyball, Alyssa also loves basketball, um, that's been really fun. They have this great friend group beyond the group they have in school too, uh, that spans beyond Bellingham too, which has been really fun. For our kids, we never force them to play a sport. It was always their choice. And um, my son, Ben, apologizes to me this day, to, to this day, that he never took to baseball because he knew that was my favorite sport. He only played it for a year or two. It just didn't like it. And he apologized to me. And I said, Ben, you don't need to apologize to me. I wanted you to play what you wanted to play. And like I said, you know, they were uh, attracted to soccer and basketball and that's great. Um, but it was really more about them and their satisfaction and what they were looking to get out of it, whatever that was. And it wasn't about me or Annette. It was about them and, and, and what they were doing. It sounded like you guys weren't the parents yelling at the referees. You weren't the ones second guessing the coaches. You were the ones cheering for the whole team, bringing the orange slices. And so you're setting these good examples. But what do you do when there's that parent down the way who's acting inappropriately? Do you have that conversation with your kid? Um, That could be tough. Certainly. We've noticed other teams that we've played. I haven't really seen it. (laughs) maybe it has happened on my own team, but I I don't notice it. You only notice it when it's your opposing team. Um, But we have had conversations with the girls about that and what's appropriate and what's not and how to be a good sport and how to be a good winner and how to be a good loser. Mark, what are your thoughts? Um, I I only recall one dad um, on my son's basketball team who was so intense that um, he was asked not to come to the games anymore. And he stopped coming because he was just, um, too nervous. My favorite story about um, soccer and a parent was there was one dad who really wanted his son to be really good. And the dad was a big time soccer player and loved soccer. And he wanted his son to be a big time soccer player and love soccer. And this was maybe six, seven, eight years old, whatever it was. And his son was not a good soccer player. His son just wanted to be out running in the grass. And I remember this one game in particular where, you know how you can take your index finger and your thumb and turn them upside down and make like big glasses on your face. He did did that on the field. He on the field and like six of the teammates did it as well. And they're all running around the field with the fake glasses with their finger running around woohoo, and having no clue. And the dad was mortified that this was happening 
but the other parents were laughing and he finally realized, oh, it's okay. He's seven years old. It's <sighs> not that big of a yeah. deal. Yeah. And it was really great to see that even though he took this so seriously, that he could embrace the fact that his son was just kind of a clown and just having fun and just running around and basically just being a kid, right? Yep. Yeah, and it boils down to if the kid is either putting undue pressure on themselves or getting pressure from parents, then sports become serious. And if it's serious, then it becomes stressful. And if it's stressful, they're not going to like it and they're going to quit. And Nathan... Well, Nathan, I just want to warn you, though, since, you know, you haven't had kids yet playing the uh, competitive soccer, that traveling to the Northwest fields on the corner of Smith and Northwest <laughs> Road in Whatcom County in early, always blowing, always windy, and we have played soccer games in the snow, uh, you have a lot to look forward to, just so it, you know. It sounds like a rite of passage. I've already been told to invest in the Gore-Tex and the boots. And uh, with three kids, I can only imagine that Saturday where we have an 8 a.m. game, a noon game, and a 3 o'clock game. But uh, the pandemic saved us from starting youth soccer this year. <laughs> uh, check back with me in a couple more. Well, I was going to say, when the girls decided to play an indoor fall and winter sport uh, in, bat- in volleyball and basketball, that was absolutely music to our ears. We were so thrilled to not have to stand out of the Northwest Fields anymore. Yeah, we, we watched many a game from the comfort of our car with the uh, <laughs> heater on, but we also um, more than once brought coffee and donuts for the 8 a.m. Uh, soccer game for the other parents so uh, we could at least commiserate together about how miserable it was out there. Hey, let's wrap with this. And again, I got this from this article, 27 Ways to Be an Awesome Youth Sports Parent. And uh, it says, youth sports is about the kids, not the adults. It's an environment to learn, stay healthy, make friends, and have fun. Parents need to remember their actions play a big role, whether their child enjoys and learns from youth sports. Amen. What's keeping you from performing at your prime? The Prime Sports Institute in Bellingham exists to help you perform better, stay in your prime longer, and have more fun doing it. The Prime Sports Institute is the first athletic trainer-owned and operated clinic in the country. Experience the treatment the elite and pro athletes are used to. Call today at phone number 360-922-3120 to schedule an appointment, or for more information, visit their website at primebellingham.com. Let's hear from this week's guest. All right, and now we're joined by Adam Van Ness, personal finance teacher. Uh, Adam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's great to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and sort of what you've done for a career and how long you've lived here in Whatcom County? Um, Yeah, sure. So, um, well, first off, uh, since this is a dad's podcast, um, I have two two young kids, um, Gavin, who's nine, and Haley, who is seven. Um, both are at Sunnyland Elementary. Um, but before kids and kind of in the previous life, um, grew up in Seattle, um, a relative newcomer to Whatcom County. I've lived here for about four and a half years now. Um, and then prior to moving up to Bellingham, um, kind of had a, a varied, varied career, I'd say, in that um, after high school, went to uh, Boston College. Um, after that, went into the Army, was an officer in the field artillery for four years, 
came back, went to grad school, and then went into uh, an investment management career. Uh, and then in uh, 2016, on April Fool's Day, um, I decided to, or was able to, based on the plan that my wife had put in place, um, basically call uh, a traditional nine to five work life, um, we were able to call it quits. Part of that is I want to be able to give back to the community is I feel like I've, I've had a lot of opportunities um, and uh, want to be able to share um, some of my knowledge around what, what decisions we've made to allow us to be where we're at. And I know part of the way you're sharing that locally is teaching a class or two up at Whatcom Community College. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm teaching two courses. Um, one's called Everyday Money. It's just a quick two-hour course. And that's really, um, it, I wouldn't put it in the course description, but it's really about the psychology of money um, and how our brains react to it um, and some of the habits that we can try to kind of drip into our brains to, to change some of our money habits. Um, and then I'm also teaching a, um, a personal finance course that's four sessions, uh, about an hour and a half a session. Um, and that kind of runs the gamut. It has um, money concepts, habits, money management, um, the most popular topic, investments, which when everyone hears personal finance, they think, ah, investments, where do I put my money? Um, but then also, how do you deal with financial advice, um, finding a financial advisor, um, and go through insurance, uh, and then earning power, bow, uh, borrowing, excuse me. And you do some teaching just individually as well? Yes, I, I like to be able to um, teach individuals um, as far as personal finance habits. Again, it's really just kind of walking them through some of the the oftentimes what people don't want to talk about, um, the personal finance taboos, um, money taboos. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a fun conversation to have. Most people are very um, reticent to have those conversations, but once they get started, it's actually extremely beneficial and very healthy. And I, I just, I, I feed off of that interaction. So yes, I am starting to do that. Well, speaking of getting started, uh, I'm, I'd like to start with a couple questions for you. Uh, the first one, and perhaps the most important question for you, Adam, is should Mark be paying his adult children's cell phone bills? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Big, big parenting mistake right there. I, and I, I'm hesitant to ask Mark how much those cell phone bills add up to. Um, like, for instance, uh, the cell phone that I use, it, it's so one of the money habits that I talk about is it's function over form. What do you need a phone to do? You need it to be able to call and occasionally need to be able to check emails and you need to be able to look up a map. 90% of the time you're on Wi-Fi. 10% of the time you actually need data. So why is everyone paying $100 for data plans? Um, my cell phone bill is $7 a month. $7 a month? $7 a month. So can I get on your plan maybe? Yeah. Maybe, maybe get my, get my well, kids on your plan? I'd, I'd, I'd charge you 50. But <laughs> You'd hey, still be saving them money. If you charge me 50, I would still be saving money every single month. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. Um, but I, again, that that's kind of goes to the whole money habit thing um, around what do you really need your phone for? I want to know what business uh, you use to pay $7 a month um, for your cell phone. Um, it is, so I used to use air voice wireless. So it's MVNO. So MVNO is kind of the keyword. It's, um, I'm not going to remember what the acronym stands for, but the resellers of, um, cell towers. So I'm on the, uh, right now I'm using Tello, which is how I was able to get it down to $7. I used to be paying $10 a month. Then I was like, no, nah, I can get it cheaper than that. The parenting mistake. Number one of the, uh, podcast 
Mark should not be paying a 24-year-old's cell phone bill. <laughs> it only no. took till episode four till we started admitting our parenting mistakes. Those first yeah. three episodes, we were trying to put our best foot forward, but it's all going to come crashing down. Well, it's because yeah. we've been perfect for three weeks, really. You know, it's just all come crashing down now. So, yes. so Adam, I'm curious. Um, thinking about when my kids were growing up, and um, we never paid them an allowance. They, I mean, it just, it just never happened. I don't know why, but. Uh, one of the ways my daughter made money was we have a, a, a large piece of property with lots of grass and we had lots of dandelions and I paid her a penny per dandelion in the spring. <laughs> and that was one of the ways that she earned some money. Mm-hmm. And they did things at the farmer's market where there were kids and they sold things. And so we always encouraged some creativity. What are your philosophies on allowances for kids, the pros and the yeah. cons of that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, there's actually been quite a bit of research recently around allowance and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, on one hand, uh, just handing a child an allowance kind of tends to breed the sense of entitlement, um, or at least that's the concern and what came out of some of the research. Um, but taking it to the other extreme, and it's, neither of them are extremes, but taking it to the other, other direction as far as only paying your child for work um, also kind of stifles something as well. Um, so, um, what I've recommended and and what we practice with our kids is that they get an allowance as a base allowance. Like this is just what you get for being a part of the, being a team member, being a part of the family. We expect you to do chores, but you're not going to get paid for it. But we also pay them for additional work. It's a bit of both worlds in my mind that works best with kids and that you're demonstrating, okay, you can make money to pay for the things that you want, but also being part of the family, you're, you're, you're going to contribute by helping and doing chores, doing sweeping the floor, doing dishes, things of that nature. So 15 years ago, the going rate for dandelions was a penny, a dandelion, like I said. What, what is a reasonable allowance for a kid, in your opinion? Um, it, it, it goes to how you implement it. So right now we pay our kids $1.50 a week. Um, but the other big part of allowance that you can use to to teach your kids something about money and finance in general is um, we have, we call it the bank of mom and dad. Um, and I, um, my wife and I, um, we give our kids 18% interest. So the reason we do that, and we explain it every time that we go through their bank books with them. Um, is that we want them to to actually physically see what interest is, and that if you bump it up to eighteen percent, like it's tangible. Um, my daughter is almost has enough in her bank account now where the interest she earns every week is more than what she earns in interest or or an allowance. Excuse me. Um, and so being able to demonstrate okay the power of interest and what that can do, but we always preface it and bring it back like. This isn't reality, kids. Uh, it's, it would be great to get 18%. How do you feel about an approach where the uh, parents sort of restrict what the allowance can be spent on? So I'll tell you what we do, and you can tell me if we're doing it wrong. Uh, yep. Or, uh, But we sort of say, here's your allowance, split it into thirds. We want you to donate yep. a third to charity. We want you to save yep. a third, and we want you to spend a third. Um, I, so that is, that's a very popular technique to, to do a third, a third, third. Um, my only, so one of the things about finance and money and families in general 
is if the parents aren't walking the walk, you can't expect your kids to donate a third of their money to charity. Um, if you are spending your money on whatever it is, whatever the, the, the flashy object is that you want. So kids learn everything through observing. Um, they, and they soak it up over years in the house. Um, it's not the, the allowance is not going to teach them about money. Um, it's really observing the parents and how they interact with money. Um, so splitting it a third, a third, a third probably works for most families. Um, it's, 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 it's better than nothing because it does instill that idea of saving and spending. And then also my money should be going to be doing something good. The key part of it is that the parents have to already be, their financial house has to be in order. Um, not necessarily like they need to be willing to have conversations with their frank conversations with their kids about money. Um, and if both partners disagree on financial habits or aren't seeing eye to eye and how money is spent through the family, um, that's, that is in my mind key. So, and in, in my, pers- my, my family, Adam, I would love to get your, your opinion on what we're doing. So I have an 11 year old who has a lawn mowing business and I have a 14 year old who babysits. Um, and what we do is they both have accounts at the credit union and um, they love walking into the credit union and giving their cash or their checks. And, um, and then we monitor as well through us. They get to see what they have in their bank account. And for every $20 they put in, uh, to save, I give them $5. So it's sort of a, a form of kind of like an interest in a way. I mean, I would frame that as, hey, this is a company match um, along the idea of an investment. Um, and maybe you funnel that $5 um, into a pseudo 401k um, for your kids. Um, so one of the things I'd recommend from the ages of roughly 13 to 18 um, would be really to introduce a paycheck um, if they aren't receiving one through paid work that they're doing on the side anyway. But in a, in a, a like a, a gimmicky sitting on a printer kind of on the laptop, mom and dad creating a paycheck, but a true paycheck so that they can start to comprehend that, okay, well, if I'm making $60,000 a year, actually, I'm not making $60,000 a year. I'm actually making quite a bit less. There's other things that need to come out. Now, not necessarily taking that money out of your kids' bank accounts, but really letting them get an appreciation for what that money would look like. But at 13 to 18, you really should start looking at, okay, we're going to take some money or we're going to have you work with us around a, call it a 401k, call it a, call it an IRA, um, but call it an investment account and actually open up account um, and have them start investing um, so that they start to get the feel for that. Oftentimes when I'm teaching a class, um, or talking to individuals, it's all about, well, what should I be investing my money in? Or how do I invest my money? Um, what, where do I get the highest return? Um, things of that nature. And that is, that's step 10 um, in a 10-step process of what you should be doing with your personal finance, with your, with your personal money. So where are you and what do you recommend in the whole um, college saving process. Is that something you believe that the kids should be preparing for down the line? Or is it something that you think that the parents should be actively involved in and saving to help the kids once they get to that point? 
Um, I am definitely a middle of the road kind of guy um, <laughs> in that I hedge my bets. Um, so we are putting money away for our kids. Um, but for kids in college age, you just, there's so much unknown and uncertainty. So we're hedging um, quite honestly in that we're setting money aside for both, both kids to parents out there that are contemplating the same thing. I would definitely open a 529 um, account and um, start early. So we open them when the kids were born. Aside from failure to just talk about money in general, what are some of the common mistakes that families fall into with their kids as it pertains to money and personal finance? Thinking everything's good with just just doing an allowance, um, with just sitting with an allowance and saying, okay, you know, we've got this allowance thing down. Um, our kids are going to understand based on, on the allowance. Um, I, I think that's probably the biggest pitfall. Um, and again, I can't beat this drum enough. It goes back to um, not having, and again, this is where the parents have to get their financial lives in order in order to have those honest conversations in the open. Um, and I know that money and finances and relationships is tough, um, really tough. So in the class that I teach, it almost um, in some respects is a bit like, it's great when I have couples in the class, like fantastic. Um, it's almost like couples therapy in that, you get to talk to them about trying to meet in the middle, talking about what you're spending money on and why and how that fits in with your personal values. Um, and um, that's another thing that a lot of people don't do with money and money conversations is bring it all back to my money is being spent on something. Does that align with what I want to get out of life? Um, what are my values? Um, and now it's hard to do that. Um, on a daily basis when you're talking about, okay, what, what do I need to buy to, to, to eat um, or just kind of the needs versus the wants conversation. Elaborate a little bit more. I mean, I think that that's something that a lot of couples really struggle with. Uh, the fight, I mean, finances are a huge part of challenges that couples have and um, tying budget or not, but not the budget, tying spending to values. Can you elaborate a little bit more about that and give me some examples of what values could be? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I don't, I don't have it on my website yet, uh, but there's a values, there's value surveys out there um, that you just basically take. It compares two kind of values as far as what you would spend your money. If you had, if you found an extra thousand dollars on the sidewalk or $500, whatever it was, um, what would you then spend that money on? Like, okay, would you spend it on kind of, um, to your point, would you spend it on an experience? So it'd say like travel or, um, oh, geez, put me on the spot. I'm not going to remember all that, but basically it goes through and, and you rank order all these different values, um, as far as where you would put your money. And then you look at it and a lot of people look at it and say, you know what, all, I agree with everything that I've said, but then when you actually unpack it and start to look at where you're then, it, it has to coincide with then actually tracking what you're spending your money on. And then you try to line up what you're spending your money on with those values. And you kind of tick a box like, uh, no, that does not align with my values. That does, that does. Um, so your values, for example, your values could align with, you know what? I love to go eat out every night. Like I like to patronize restaurants. That's, I, I value that. I get value out of my life to do that. Then by all means, that's what you should be spending your money on. As soon as you start to negatively impact yourself for spending decisions, 
um, that don't align with your values, um, that's where you run into problems with money. Um, and that's often um, the case with couples as well. So it's couples both kind of filling out the value, value survey and then talking about it and saying, you know what, I really, really love it when we go on vacation um, and when we travel somewhere and we have an experience together. Um, I don't love it so much when uh, you're going to the, to the breweries every night. Um, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but that's, it, it really comes down to a lot of people just, it, it's, it's kind of hokey, but it's actually filling out a value survey and then looking at it and having your partner fill it out too. Sure. Um, and then talking about it. How much money should a family have set aside for emergencies? Um, great question. Um, the, the kind of the, the general advice is three to six months of uh, monthly expenses. <clears throat> so looking at your monthly expenses, uh, triple it or um, six times that amount. Um, the really big problem I have with that yeah. is that the vast majority of families are barely managing to save 10%. Um, but to get a three to six month emergency fund set to the side, if you're only saving 10%, it's actually going to, if you're going for six months set aside, it's going to take you five years to do that. And and most people don't, again, we have short-term brains. We don't think about a long-term reward, especially when that reward is so intangible. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have six months of living expenses sitting in an account, but I can't do anything with it. Um and so the temptation over those five years is just too strong. Um, and it just doesn't happen. People don't, don't do it. The emergency comes up in year two. And so the money's gone and then the credit card gets pulled out. Um, so um, my recommendation, again, it's always to go back to the, I'm sorry, I'm sound like a broken record, but it's, it's, you got to go back to the foundation, look at what's coming in, look at what's going out and doesn't match your values. And often you will find areas that you can actually bring your expenses drastically down. Um, and with those savings actually start saving, maybe not every month, but say one month you're saving 20% of your income. The next month, maybe you figure something else out and you, you take little pieces kind of away, um, not sacrifices, but you take pieces away and you're at, suddenly at, you're at 30% that you're saving your income. I'll close this out on this one. Adam, sure. what if we have some listeners who are listening saying, look, my finances are so bad right now that this all sounds great in a hypothetical world, but there's no way I'm ever going to dig out to be able to implement this. Is there hope for them? Absolutely. Um, they can come talk to me. There is, you can, you can dig yourself out. Um, yeah, of course, there's, there's always going to be <clears throat> the hopeless case, um, but I have yet to meet them. Um, there's always ways to figure something out. Um, now, might take time, <laughs> might take actually further on that spectrum of sacrifice um, to get on a, a kind of a firmer footing, um, but it absolutely is is possible um, to dig yourself out of whatever hole you're in. So tell the listeners how they could contact you and what services you offer and what sort of the, the payment schedule is along with that. Um, yeah, sure. So um, I just uh, adamvanness.com. Um, I talk to individuals. I don't charge anything um, until it was certainly for the first time that we would talk first hour session for you and a partner. I don't charge a thing. Um, and if after that first session, 
if you've done the homework that I would ask you to do after that first session, if we've determined that your net worth is below $200,000, I still would not charge anything to keep coaching and or teaching you personal finance uh, until your net worth was above $200,000. And then I charge $100 an hour. Um, I also uh, teach to organizations. Um, so if a business wants to bring me in just to talk to employees about just general money issues, um, investments, certainly. Um, but I have the whole kind of the class package um, or packages, same, same material that I'd be teaching at the community college. Um, and I, if it's a school um, or a student organization or finance club, I don't charge anything. There's no, there's, there's just too much to be gained by teaching people good money habits. There's no reason for me to charge anything. So if I could get invited to a student body, I would absolutely love that. Um, the only time I would ever talk about money with a student organization um, or a, a, like a faculty group even um, would be is if there was travel involved, um, if there was like exorbitant personal expense involved. Um, but then for a, a business that would be on an ad hoc basis, like how many people I'd be talking to, how long the session would be, where it was, stuff like that. Um, but again, uh, yeah, so adamvanness.com. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. This is an amazing resource you're providing to the community, certainly with teaching folks. And uh, the price certainly sounds right for those in financial trouble. So um, thank you so much for joining us. This really has been uh, some great advice that I'm sure our listeners are going to be able to implement in their daily lives. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Thanks. Thank you. No problem. See you. Welcome, Dads Recommend. So let's move into our final segment of the day, and that's Whatcom Dads Recommend. And this week, we're talking about places to have your kid's birthday party. Certainly, you can have a home birthday party, but there are some great venues around Whatcom County. And Mark, uh, you've been out of this game for a while. I presume you're not hosting a lot of uh, birthday parties with uh, bouncy houses for 21 and 25-year-olds. <laughs> No, uh, Schweinhaus hosted our last birthday party. So I'll tell you, that's how old I am. <laughs> Chris, any particularly memorable birthday parties that uh, the Rosellis have had? Yes. So when our girls were really young, we actually hired Victor Viking from Western to come. They we, We've always been fans of going to basketball and volleyball games at Western. And so they love Victor Viking. You might explain who Victor is. For oh, yes. Victor is the mascot for the university. And so he is a big, uh, soft, friendly, fluffy character. Uh, and the girls love him. And so um, he's available for hire. And so we hired Victor to come to Lexi's uh, fourth birthday party, which uh, he was a, a huge hit. And then moving all the way forward to just this last year before COVID came, uh, our daughter when she turned 11 Alyssa when she turned 11 we decided to have our birthday party at Bellis Fair Mall and we had a scavenger hunt and it was a blast we picked a variety of different things they had to go find something that cost three dollars and 98 cents they had to find something that was red they had to find a dress or whatever it might be and so we of course had conversations with them about uh with their friends as well about being respectful in stores and things like that but Anybody who has had birthday parties knows that one of the keys to having a successful birthday party is to figure out how to have it somewhere else so you don't have to have the cleanup at your own house. So we have had a couple different uh, spots we've utilized over the years. One that uh, worked out particularly well was simply renting a picnic shelter at one of the many Bellingham City Parks. 
I think it's 25 or 30 bucks an hour to have that shelter. And we've done both Lake Padden and I think it's Squalicum Creek Park, but uh, it just lends itself to an easy party. You can bring in your food and drinks. The kids can play on the equipment, Um, plenty of parking, relatively easy to find. But we've coupled that with things. So one time we had a face painter come out and meet us at the park and all the kids got uh, face paintings. And then another time we had the uh, Sugar Shack ice cream truck come out to provide treats. We've uh, we've utilized Western's Rec Center. That's a good place to have birthday parties where kids can uh, go swim and do a variety of other activities. Bellingham Bay Gymnastics uh, for us was a great place. They uh, We did that one as well. Yep, that's a good spot. Um, We've done the uh, Children's Museum, too, uh, the Family Interactive Gallery, the FIG, and yeah. they uh, they do a craft for the kids, and the kids get to play around there. So, yeah, lots of options. Anything that you did, Mark, that's now out of business here in Bellingham <laughs> or Ferndale? <laughs> yeah, probably most of it. <laughs> you know, birthdays always – the parties always stress me out. I always thought a kid was going to get hurt or, you know, we went to the jump zone, wherever that was in whatever city, and – I don't know. I birthday parties always stressed me out, so it was always I was always happy when they were over. Thank you to our sponsors, Robinson and Cole Attorney, and Prime Sports Institute. To reach the show, email us at whatcomedadspodcast at gmail.com. Send us your suggestions for topics to discuss and future guests. Please subscribe and rate and leave a review. Join us next week when the dads discuss working from home during the pandemic. They recommend whiskeys for dads to drink over the holidays and are joined by Chris Powell to discuss his experience being a stepdad. See you next week. Bye. 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 so smart. Why are fish so smart? Because they live in school. Because they live in schools. <laughs> what is the strongest creature in the sea? What is the strongest creature in the sea? A muscle. Why did the spider go to his computer? Why did the spider go to his computer? To check his website. <laughs> Neckos, circus peanuts, and Twizzlers all in the garbage dump family. <laughs> what, what come what come dads what come <laughs>